morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin live from Pflugerville. Our building is closed because of construction just this one Sunday and so this will be the Sunday we remember that we live streamed from the minister's house <laughs> in Pflugerville and um we're very glad that you all are joining us. I've heard that some of you are having watch parties with brunch, so hello to the brunchers, <laughs> and hello to those of you who are just watching at home by yourselves or with your families. We're very glad that you're joining us. Our uh, Unitarian heritage reaches back to a time when uh, people decided that we were going to believe that there was a spark of the divine in everyone. In the spirit of that heritage, the way that we greet the divine every Sunday morning is by turning to the people around them, around us and welcoming them. So if you would just greet the divine in the people in the room with you, that would be wonderful. Good morning. The words for our chalice lighting should be on your screen. Let us say them together. Love is the spirit of this church and service to this law. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. And now Chris Jemerson has our opening reading. It's called The Feast of Lights by Emma Lazarus. Kindle the taper like the steadfast star ablaze on evening's forehead or the earth. And add each night a luster till the far and eightfold splendor shine above thy hearth. Clash, Israel, the cymbals, touch the lyre, blow the brass trumpet and the harsh tongued horn, chant psalms of victory till the heart take fire, the Maccabean spirit leap newborn. We say our mission together every Sunday. You'll find the words on your Facebook screen. We say it because it guides us, it guides all our decisions, and we make many decisions a day. So together we say our mission. Together we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. May it be so. Today we are talking about hope. And it also, in themed ministry, in our children's and youth faith development classes, when we have them, um, and in our child circles and adult faith, um, we use themed ministry, which is, and our theme this month is mystery. So, I like the idea that we're talking about hope and mystery, because sometimes hope can be a little mysterious. Um, have, have any of you ever hoped for something? Hope sometimes feels like it can be a wish. Hope sometimes feels like it can be a prayer. And sometimes hope reminds me of something that I found this morning in Meg's front yard. It's a funny thing as I was walking in. I found these lovely acorns. So an oak tree 
in Meg's front yard, I found these acorns. And the thing about these acorns that remind me about her is that, Chris, would you hold out your hand? If I drop this acorn in Chris's hand, hold it up, will it grow into an oak tree? Just like that? No. No. What does it need, an acorn need, to grow into an oak tree? Soil, water, sunlight. Exactly. So just like hope, sometimes hope needs things to help it grow. So sometimes when you hope for something, it might need support. It might need a helping hand. So you might need community. You might need some hard work. You might need some things to help hope grow into something that you want it to be. So hope is kind of mysterious in that it can be a prayer. It can be a wish. And it can be something that grows into something with a little I like that story. Sorry for helping. <laughs> I appreciate your help. <laughs> Just like hope, it might need a little help, like Jules. <laughs> Today's reading is from C. Joy Bell, and Chris is going to read this. I have come to accept the feeling of not knowing where I'm going, and I have trained myself to love it. Because it is only when we are suspended in midair with no landing in sight that we force our wings to unravel and, alas, begin our flight. And as we fly, we still may not know where we are going to. But the miracle is in the unfolding of the wings. You may not know where you're going, but you know that so long as you spread your wings, the winds will carry you. To be hopeful in bad times is not just foolishly romantic. It is based on the fact that human history is a history not only of cruelty, but also of compassion, sacrifice, courage, kindness. What we choose to emphasize in this complex history will determine our lives. If we see only the worst, it destroys our capacity to do something. If we remember those times and places, and there are so many, where people have behaved magnificently, this gives us the energy to act, and at least the possibility of sending this spinning top of a world in a different direction. And if we do act, in however small a way, we don't have to wait for some grand utopian future. The future is an infinite succession of presents, and to live now as we think human beings should live, in defiance of all that is bad around us, is itself a marvelous victory. It's the first day of Hanukkah, I think. And um, the mysterious happenings of Hanukkah were that the temple had been destroyed. Um, won't go into a big history lesson, but by the bad guys. And <laughs> the good guys came in and wanted to re-sanctify the temple, and they didn't have enough oil for the holy lights. They had only a little bit of oil that should have lasted only a little bit of time. But mysteriously, the oil lasted for eight days. 
And so we talk about mystery and we talk about the hope of redemption at Hanukkah and we talk about uh, messages from the divine that allow us to continue to hope. Not everybody thinks hope is a good thing. Um, in the story of Pandora opening her box and all the evils of the world flew out, hope was the last thing to fly out. And was that because mm, with all the evils now loose in the world you need hope? Or was that because hope in itself is not that good a thing? We thought we might talk this morning with each other about hope and whether it's a good thing or a bad thing or both. Or, uh, as the story said, uh, a thing in itself that needs other things in order to bear fruit. So, um, Jules, would you say that you are an optimist in life? Is it easy for you to fend off despair or is it, do you spend, do you spend some energy fending off despair like that? Um, I feel I, I probably err on the side of hope. You err on the side of hope. <laughs> That's good. How about you, Chris? What are you, where are you in the optimist um, despair camp? You know, uh, Emily Dickinson wrote the famous poem, Hope is the thing with feathers, and that prompted Woody Allen years later to title a book without feathers. Um, and I sort of am in that in between and in the mystery. I think that for me, when hope is grounded in a false optimism and grounded in we need to be certain of a certain outcome, and the arc of the universe bends toward justice. Well, right now we're seeing that it has some waves in it. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and it doesn't bend to just toward justice without us. And so I, I used a reading from Baklav Havel at the service we did right after this last election where he does something I really like. He grounds hope in the here and now, not some surety about outcome or optimism about the future because when we talk about building the beloved community in the way that Martin Luther King expressed it, that may not happen within our lifetimes. Um, and so we have to ground it in finding the beauty and joy and love and relationship um, in the here and now. And so I think that where I ground hope is that we can find that in nourishing souls transforming lives and doing justice and that struggle in and of itself is where the beauty, the joy, the love the relationship, for me that's where hope becomes resilience um, it's not based on I'm not saying it's bad to have goals and, and desires for the future I think though that we can easily fall into despair if we place all of our hope there um, I think people have heard me tell the story before but I'm old enough that I was around doing AIDS care back in the bad old days when the drugs didn't work or we didn't have drugs. And, and actually right after that, which made it even a little worse, I was going through my contacts one day and I realized that I was going to have to de delete 38 names of people who had died. And I think if somebody had talked to me about hope right then, I would have had to say, look, I'm just getting through the day right now, you know. But the hope, again, lied in, we built community, we built loving relationships, we found, even during those horrible times, ways to have love and beauty and joy. So, it's probably a longer answer than we're looking for. No, wonderful. Wonderful. Um, when I, 
when I think about it, I, I never was much of a fan of hope before I got uh, injured. I just thought, well, I was kind of what I understood as Buddhist in my thinking, which I could probably be misunderstanding that, but I just thought, well, it will either happen or it won't happen. Hoping that it'll happen um, doesn't do as much as working toward it happening. And yet, then when I was kind of helpless for six months, um, really all I could do was just do the little things that they told me I had to do, which wasn't much, and hope that this would pass, that my body would know what to do, and that the doctors knew what to do. And so it was, um, I think there's a kind of a hope when you're in a helpless situation. Um, there, there's a, a wonderful writer and I'm calling her name out of my mind. I think it's Etty Illison, but I'm not sure. She was in a concentration camp talking about hope. And when, when really you are almost helpless, I think hoping is, as the song said, all, or as, as Brent's song said, all you have at the end, that's all that's holding you. Um, I know there are some people who hope when they can do a lot, they just sit and hope to be rescued or hope that they're going to win the lottery or hope that they, you know, get, that their relationships get better and they don't work on it or they don't um, do what they need to do to make something happen. And especially, uh, I think I grew up around some people who were just hoping, you know, that to be rescued, that Jesus was going to come back. And I'm sorry to laugh at that if that's anybody's belief out there, but um, it really was such an answer to everything. Like, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Well, Jesus will be back soon. Or our, all the fish are gone from the Hudson River. This is back in the 70s. Well, Jesus will be back soon. But no, um, our, our work, we are the ones we've been waiting for, as the women in South Africa said. We are the ones who have to do the work. And there's a Catholic song, I think, that says, God has no hands but ours. And that that there has to be a combination of, of work and, and hope. And um, I like this, this quotation from Lainey Taylor, who wrote a book called Daughter of Smoke and Bone. Hope can be a powerful force. Maybe there's no actual magic in it. But when you know what you hope for most and hold it like a light within you, you can make things happen almost like magic. So I, I, I love that because I think hope actually has like a mystical power in that <clears throat> when you hope, it can inspire. And hope can create, like from an artist's perspective, of like in when, I, when I create. So if I'm, hope, if I'm hopeful, if I can connect to that hope, that can trigger my imagination or my creativity. So if I get stuck with something and I can connect to hope, then that can open me up to creativity and imagination of what could be, which can connect me to the, to the power to, to create. And that's not just with art, but that's just with, with yeah. everything. everything. And so I think that there's something when I uh, an emotional connection to hope that can open you up to that power. Yeah. 
love it. <clears throat> and I think, um, I think hope, as she said, when you know what you're hoping for, then you have a vision of what could be. And I think a, a, a lot of times we have a hard time changing our culture because we just can't even picture what it would look like. What would a culture that was free from white supremacy thinking, what would that even look like? And what would a culture who, that was free from unfettered capitalism look like? What would a culture that was built on communitarianism, to, to say a word that not many people use, um, what would a community-centered culture look like? And once we, um, once we can have the imagination, then we can make it. I think that's so interesting that technology seems to follow science fiction because the science fiction authors picture things and then the scientists make them. Yep. And so we have things that we saw in Star Trek in the 60s that now we have, you know, our communicators on our hands and we... We're living into that world, and if we can imagine it, um, I think I think it would be great to spend some time imagining the beloved community. I love Dr. King's expression of it. I would love to to spend time meditating on that or unpacking it, as they say. And I, I love opening up this idea of, of hope, offering creativity, and also I love that in our mission we say build the beloved community because I think. Some areas of hopefulness for me is like during the days of AIDS where we just built our own darn institutions because nobody else was going to do it for us, you know. I see that happening now. We built Indivisible. We have various human rights groups that have come together and built power together in ways that they never had before and, in fact, were in opposition to one another. And so I think that idea of build there's something very hopeful about that because it's very active and it's very creative and it's us saying we're not going to wait around for somebody else to do this we're going to do it ourselves right now I love that, that's very punk Can we check in with our Facebook people? Oh yeah Okay, we do have a, we have a que- your first question has come in yeah. from Mindy how should we view Disney movies? Because my old church they had said they had magic, which is a big no-no. How do you view those movies? Well, I try to view them in the movie theater <laughs> with popcorn, because that's my favorite. <laughs> and magic, I, I understand that Mindy's old church said magic was dangerous, because it is. And I think it's dangerous because it calls into question... Um, the rigidity of what certain kinds of churches, not just churchianity, but also other denominations as well, would have you believe. And they, they paint the world as very scary. And they paint the power as only residing with God. And that if a human being were to try to use their power, it would be a terrible thing. And to have that yearning for magic that I think almost every human being has. To have it fed by a story or a movie where there's magic and and the people use their magic and things turn out well is destructive to the fear-based rigidity of uh, certain religious teachings in many different denominations. But we all want, I think we all want there to be magic, and we can either 
look for it with openness and hope or we can be scared of it. Nothing is unclean of itself, as the Christian scriptures say, only in the person who uses it. If members and non-members are feeling hopeless about something, what resources are available through First UU? Oh, gosh. Well, you can always come in and talk to someone. That would be um, a good place to start. And you can come and listen to the music at First UU. It's amazing. It's amazing. And it always lifts me, um, except when it makes me cry. But, <laughs> but that's a way of being lifted as well. And um, so I, I think coming to a community can help you build hope because you can sometimes piggyback on other people's hope, don't you think? I think so. And joining one of the small group ministries, I think, could help. Um, Being in the chalice circle where you get to talk yeah. about your, um, your life or singing in the choir because singing is really good for you. You live a lot longer when you sing in a choir, don't you, Brandon? Absolutely. <laughs> so I think one of the things about hope is that um, when it's lived out, um, that it is something that can be shared. So when I might not have quite enough hope, I might be able to borrow some from you or from you. And that when I have extra hope, I might be able to give some to somebody else, and that in but in but that has to exist within a community. And when you said community, to come into a community and exist and be embraced by a community like we have at First UU, I think is really important because that's where when you need some extra, yeah. you can lean into somebody mm-hmm. and into that community and get it. And that also when you have extra. Is that it's where you can give it and share it? Yeah, like, and sharing your hope doesn't make it less. Nope. And I think that there's a again an active component to mm-hmm. hope. So, and in fact, there are good studies that show that one of the antidotes to despair is to get involved right. somehow. Right. So getting connected, connected with the social yes. justice groups right. or that right. sort of thing can help right. also. Barack Obama says <laughs> the best way to not feel hopeless is to get up and do something. Don't wait for good things to happen to you. If you go out and make some good things happen, you'll fill the world with hope, and you'll fill yourself with hope. And if you can't get out and make something happen, if you feel that that's too much, it's possible that you're struggling with some depression, and it would be good to go talk to somebody about that as well, because sometimes hopelessness is chemical as well as situational. And there are other chemicals that can help you, again, have access to your own resources so that you can get out and make something good happen. Are there other questions before we wrap up? Yes, there's one more from Rob Hirschfeld. Hi, Rob. Hey, Rob. I love magic and fiction. Uh, Is there a risk, though, that people believe too much in an easy fix for hard problems? You want to take that or you want to take that? I, I mean, I think that risk is there, but I also think back to the question about Disney, for instance, and the magic in that, and for me, the actual theme of most of the Disney music, Disney pieces, have been to do with human relationship and, and 
getting into right human relationship, and the magic was kind of a literary device that got used, but in the end, always was not about the magic, it was about the human relationships and the, hmm. the doing of what's right and what's ethical. Um, so the magic for me is a device that I enjoy, um, but I don't see it as the point of right. the Disney movie. Making hard decisions. Yeah. Depending on community, the people right. around them. Right. Right, yeah. yeah. And I love that question because I love that hopefulness in that question. Do you think people would be too... Um, to hope, to addicted to the quick fix of magic. It's like you can try magic on almost any problem, but I'm here to tell you, it might work and it might not work. And um, usually, it's not a quick fix anyway. And I wish it were, and I would love for it to work that way, but it doesn't. So I think you can bibbity bobbity boo all over your problems, but they're still there usually. And um, even if you put glitter on it. It's still a problem with glitter on it. <laughs> okay, so it's a bigger problem with glitter on it. Yes. <laughs> the coming from, from the faith development, yeah. it is a much, leave the glitter <laughs> off of it. Please. Yeah, yeah glitter, glitter is not magic, it's just messy. <laughs> Forever is it. But it feels magic for right. just, just a little minute. It feels shiny yeah. for me. <laughs> Thank you all so much for joining our discussion and helping us have church live from Pflugerville. We're going to have some music now while you hit the, um, what do you call it there, the donate button, as if the plate were passing. Um, we, we have castles in the air, but we have to build foundations under the castles, as they say. And the foundation is uh, made of people sharing their time and their treasure with the church. And so if you could um, take this time while we're having some music to, um, to participate in that way. I'm going to end with a reading and then we'll extinguish our chalice. To love life. This is by Ellen Bass. To love life. To love it even when you have no stomach for it. And everything you've held dear crumbles like burnt paper in your hands. Your throat filled with the silt of it. When grief sits with you, its tropical heat thickening the air, heavy as water, more fit for gills than lungs. When grief weights you like your own flesh, only more of it, an obesity of grief. You think, how can a body withstand this? Then you hold life like a face between your palms, a plain face, no charming smile, no violet eyes, and you say, yes, I will take you. I will love you again. Will you please say with us the words by which we extinguish our chalice? This chalice, but not the flame. By your truth, the warmth of the or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again.
This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.